Welcome to the Freedom Fridays podcast with me, your host, Pete Clark, the Whispers Guy. Work seems to expand to the time that we give it. And I've been investing my time, occasionally on a Friday, to explore how we use our time, our energy, our attention, and the impact it has on our identity. I've been exploring over season one some of the mindset shifts in the handcuffs of I have to, to the freedom of I choose to. And I've shared some conversations, some tips, some tools about how you might want to invest your own time, your own energy, your own attention, how you might want to, if you choose to, make some changes to your identity, how you might have freedom from I have to and design a life around I choose to. If that's of interest to you, then this is the podcast for you. In season two, I'm going to be exploring some experts and asking them what freedom means for them and trying to help people work to live and not live to work. Trying to help people add life to their years and not just years to their life. So let's dive on in and here's season two. Welcome to this week's episode of the Freedom Friday podcast. I have a special guest today, uh, Steph Clark, and this is going to be a little bit indulgent for me because one of Steph's, um, she's been telling me offline a, a bit of a hobby, although I'm sure it's a bit more than that, is she curate, curates books and insights for people. And if you've listened or observed anything I've done over the last 20 years, you'll know I'm a bit of a bookworm as well. And so I'm, I'm really actually, this might be a very private, you know, <laughs> on the side of the wall conversation about some of the books we've all loved, but um, I'm really looking forward to this. So, so Steph, welcome. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I'm looking forward to uh, to getting into some book chats with you, Pete. <laughs> um, Steph, I start with the, the same sort of question every time, which is really this principle of um, with the work that we do and the clients that we do it with. Usually people are seeking freedom, you know, from something to something else, from I have to to I choose to. Uh, and I'd be interested if we start there. With the work that you do, whether it's the books or the L&D space, what do you observe people are seeking freedom from? The first thing that came to mind was permission. Ooh. Permission. Permission, yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And I think a lot of the, and certainly a lot of the team type work I do, and I work with leadership teams or functional teams to, to help them have the hard conversations they need to, or move in the direction that they need to. And yeah, there's so much in there in the conversations and then same within the learning, it's sort of pure, what would call probably the pure learning space or the learning reimagining space as well is, is this sense of, I can't do these things because I I'm not allowed. I've been told no. And, uh, and so much of that is perception rather than reality as well. Mm. Or it is a hangover from another workplace, another manager, another leader, or, you know, what another industry even, but these things really stick with people. And so there's this real sense, and I don't know if this is an Australian thing or if this is, this is more pervasive than that, but yeah, this real sense of people not being allowed to do the things that they want to do at work in their teams you know whatever it is and and probably in maybe in other parts of their lives as well but I don't get into that <laughs> so much so that would be conjecture I think if I suggested that 
Well, we might get into that. All right, we'll do. Um, <laughs> we'll save the conjecture for later. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um, I'm, I'm going to. I'm, I'm maybe go quite deep, quite quickly then. So, mm. and, and it's speculation, right? Because we mm. deal with humans, mm. and there's lots of stuff that humans carry with them. But what do you? What's your guess? Best guess on what do you reckon people are seeking permission for from who? I think it's to do something different a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. And I wonder as well how much of it is this sort of sense of learnt helplessness or this mm -hmm. sense of if I if I tell myself I'm not allowed to, I don't have to do the scary thing. Right. I don't have to change. I don't have to do anything different because I can be a bit of a victim to the fact that, oh, I'm not allowed to. That's why I'm not doing the thing rather than actually it's a bit frightening to do something that is different or bigger or smaller or yeah, whatever it is that that they want to do. And I think that the seeking permission from is probably more the leader. And again, that sometimes is quite, it's yeah, not necessarily specific to a person. Sometimes it is. Uh, and, and sometimes that is, that is absolutely, that is the case. And you've got someone who's a real micromanager or you know, whatever it is, but I don't know. I think sometimes there is still that case of just because someone is a micromanager doesn't mean you still can't do something and try something and see what happens and mm -hmm. experiment around that. And then the, yeah, the permission to is the, is yeah, like I said, to, to do something different or bigger or more radical than maybe the system normally promotes or rewards mm. or has happened before. Mm. Um, I'm interested if you have a view on, uh, not really interested the percentage wise, but I wonder mm. often, um, at least often, we're actually seeking permission from ourselves. Mm. For whatever reason, um, whatever case, whatever percentage that is, I'm interested in if you observe that and what aspect of ourselves are we seeking permission from? Yeah, it's a really good question. I wonder as well if it's almost the I'm not seeking permission from myself, but actually it's it's me that's the one that's not giving myself permission, if that sense. But I'm not actually seeking yeah. permission from myself, but that is who I'm really blocked by yeah 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 <clears throat> but I think but I've externalized the seeking to someone else or the system mm. or the person or the process or whatever it is yeah but I think you're right that there is it's yeah there's probably more of it is is internal and people are afraid of repercussions that's you know the, one of the definitions of trust I really like is the ability to be vulnerable without the fear of repercussion which mm. I think is a bit of a mashup of Brene Brown and Amy Emerson and a couple of others as well it's a bit yeah. of a <laughs> amalgamation yeah. of some of their definitions that they've very expertly put together yeah. but if we think about it from from that perspective that's what people are afraid of is that fear of repercussion but not less around what that is and I think it's more that that idea of how that repercussion feels I don't want to feel stupid or I don't want to feel incompetent or I don't want to feel different or like an outsider to this group or whatever and especially when a lot of organizations are still rewarding and recognizing quite safe behavior yeah. in a in terms of how people are working and what they're doing. Yeah. Um, probably, I'm guess, going to mm. guess a little bit like you. Often mm. when a client is describing someone, um, and I'm, I'm reflecting whether this is positive or negative, and it's mm. probably both. Mm. Almost the first attribute that comes out of the mouth is he, she, they are smart. Yeah. So it's like this. Uh, gravitas around intellectual ability mm. you know the really smart iq type stuff 
and I don't think they're referring to EQ. I think it's more IQ. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so I, I'm getting, and I guess that would be a safe thing to reward because you know there's a certain benchmark required to get in the organization, the function, the department, the team, you know, whatever it might be. And so we're still, it seems, rewarding mm. that aspect. Would would you would you agree? Is it have you observed yeah. that? Yeah, definitely. And especially in the teams I work with, and this is probably more where it fits in the sort of team and the learning side of things, is yeah, we're still recognizing, rewarding, and therefore promoting people based on their technical expertise putting them into these more leadership type roles or management than leadership type <laughs> roles and expecting them to be great at all of the other stuff and yeah. Yeah, all of those types of things that you know, everyone's seen. We've all been there ourselves probably as well. But then also this sense of, or this, this challenge then that, you know, a lot of the feedback I give to, to leaders of leaders is that the leadership team you've got, be it that, and it's normally probably more so at that functional level rather than necessarily at an organizational level, though certainly not exclusively that it, I do see it in both is that actually you haven't really got a group of leaders in your leadership team. Yeah. You've got a, peop- a group of people who are really great at what they do. They're good, they're, yeah, they're nice people, all of those types of things. They're smart, like you say, but they don't necessarily have that leadership maturity to, to challenge things, to do something different, because that's not why they've got to those positions. They've, yeah. they've been there, they've got there because of the stuff they've ticked the box on or done well at rather than for what they've tried. And what they've probably messed up, but learned from, yeah, that's not the stuff yeah. that gets people promoted, unfortunately, no. in, in most places. Again, there's obviously exceptions and, and that's good. And hopefully that is changing to an extent as well. But I think we're still promoting and rewarding people based on what they know, what they can do. And the irony is often, therefore, you lose two people. Yeah. You, you lose the expert in the field, whatever domain that is, and then yeah. you get the, the motivated amateur Mm. and you know it, it depends the client it depends mm. the relationship but often if i have a bit of a rant i, I make a suggestion mm. uh, in my broad scottish accent to people mm. leaders that if you haven't understood a little bit of human psychology if you haven't read anything about behavioral economics if you don't mm. understand how behaviors shift and how habits develop and if you haven't read Brené brown cialdini or any of those yeah, things yeah. you do not deserve mm. the role of being a people leader yeah. And they go, oh, oh, right. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm in the middle of actually this morning, I sent off to print a workbook that I'm doing for launching a people leader program next week, actually, it's the the first session. And yeah, we're getting, getting into a bit of that. And around just this sense of this is something you need to continuously develop and you need to invest in. This is not something that you are going to walk out of these, certainly not the first session, certainly not the third session, certainly not the stuff we're going to do afterwards and be fixed or be done or be, be learned. <laughs> this is something that will take practice and your and, and an investment of your own time, energy, effort as well. If this is something you want to progress your career to, towards as well, because mm-hmm. that's not for everyone and that's, that's okay as well. Um, maybe you can help me actually on this because what I... I'm I'm struggling sometimes to get through to clients that content covered isn't content learned. Mm. How do you overcome that? Mm. How do you help clients to see that, you know, you can go on YouTube and get the content. You can buy the book and get the content. I can do Mm -hmm. a PowerPoint deck and give you the content that is unlikely ever Mm. to change anyone's thought processes, mindset, behaviors, habits, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, Yeah. But people want the content. Yeah. <laughs> and I struggle with giving them what they say they want versus what I mm. suspect partly they need. And it's the application of that and the yeah. experimentation and the testing, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. Do you have any ways in which you help clients understand and see that, that content isn't necessarily 
learning? It's yeah, it's a really good question. It's one I still am like pretty much every week I <laughs> am having some kind of existential crisis about for that reason because yeah I want to kind of I, I still I still think there is value in exposing people who have not read those books or who mm-hmm. have not been exposed to good people leadership in you know using that as an example before yeah. to hey here's some different ways of doing this or here's some different perspectives on these things or Here's three, here's three different people, you know, experts in these fields with three quite different approaches to this. Which one do you agree with? Which ones do you like? And actually getting them to think critically about it. I think that's where there's value is where, which is, you know, not ironically, the, the way I'm kind of uh, building this program that I'm just was uh, I'm in the middle of at the moment is here's three different thinkers on this. This one thinks we should throw feedback in the bin. This one thinks it should be structured this way. This one thinks it's more principles than than framework. Mm-hmm. What do you like? What do you like? What do you not like from those? What do you think is radically incorrect? What do you, you know, actually getting them to debate some of that as well and actually come right. up with their own perspectives. I think there is value. I think there is because that's just, that's not done. And that's, I think this is where we then move more towards the self the you know and again it's a bit of a buzzword and I don't really like it but that kind of more social learning we're actually going to learn more from each other from that debate than we yeah. are from me being like and here is the feedback sandwich which obviously I do not condone and that's one of the conversations <laughs> is that goes in that goes straight in the bin <laughs> is the feedback sandwich but you know so actually getting people to think about that teach each other see what they've heard before see what they've learned see what they've picked you know those types of things and then actually adding a piece into the session which I'm hoping they're not going to be listening to because this is going to be a surprise in the session <laughs> is, is a, an open uh, and kind of open source part of the session as well, where actually everyone has the opportunity to put something up on the wall and they're like, actually, I want to run 10 minutes on, this is something I've seen before. This is something I've tried before. So they can actually teach each other as well. It's not just content with a, with a, an agenda that I've come up with as well. There's an yeah. element that's probably 40 minutes of, of that at the end of the session as well. Yeah. So I think, I don't know if this is kind of answering answering the question, but I think there's it's then also coming up with a blend a more blended approach. So it's not just workshops in a room, people coming mm-hmm. and and being passive and absorbing stuff. They there's there's an element of those things where it's like, hey, let's come and share some ideas and think about what's what what is relevant nowadays, what we've seen, what we might want to put in the bin that we've seen before, what actually just doesn't hold up anymore. But also then thinking about what's the follow-on, what's the coaching, what's the ongoing nuggets of information that they can be exposed to like hey here's an article about this like hey here's something else like every couple of weeks or whatever and then giving them coaching access because I think that's the that's the big difference I think for a lot of people is that they then go off and they can't use it because they're like well how do I which is that the point you're making so how do I actually do this how do I do the thing by giving them access to my time or your time yeah whoever it is that's the, you know, the, the kind of host or sponsor or yeah facilitator of that being like right you've got how many hours of access to my time book in you can book it in here's the link anytime within reason probably not (laughs) 2am but this and then we will work through how you're actually applying this yeah and using coaching and those types of things as well to do that because that's where the rubber will hit the road is how people use how people think about the problem they've got and then actually think about how to apply what they're learning with the thing with that and with the other individual in mind because that's where again we add the complexity yeah. of what works with one person doesn't work for another yeah I, i've come across the expression one size fits one yeah yeah nice yeah which i think is part you know I'm, i have an education teaching background which oh, yeah. from okay. a, an education curriculum perspective yeah. absolutely is the case and you could argue I, I would argue it's the same with diet it's the same with 
all sorts of aspects. You know, one size mm. fits one. The kind of general principles, maybe. Yeah. Um, I'm I'm interested if you wouldn't mind, and I'm, forgive me if I'm springing mm. this question on you. I'm sure you've thought about right. it, but I'm interested in your first thoughts. Um, going into a people leadership role, as we've talked about, um, kind of off the back of my rant about you should be doing. If you were to recommend, you know, before you get the role, as you get the role, and I know it's ongoing, are there any principles, books, authors, domains that you think are prerequisites mm. for the 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 complex arena of dealing with and managing and leading people? Mm. Well, Pete, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> <laughs> you haven't thought you about waited, this. Forever, yeah, you waited you? like 15 minutes to ask me for a book recommendation. I'm ready. <laughs> I'm ready for this one. Uh, yeah, actually, funnily enough, this morning just on LinkedIn, I posted where there are, there are two books I think that every manager and leader should read. Yep. One of them you've actually already mentioned is Dare to Lead by Brene Brown. Yep. Mm-hmm. It's deep, it's slightly abstract in places. And I think it would be a real challenge for a lot of people, and not from a, an intellectual perspective at all. I mean, from a oh, wow, this is very different to what yeah. I have seen as leadership, to what mm. I have believed to be yeah. what good leadership looks like and what is yeah, what is the new definition. And I think for, for all of us as practitioners in whatever domain you're in, we absolutely have a an imperative to and a responsibility to keep updating what, what is good because... Mm. I mean, I was looking through some content the other day and just thinking about this feedback module I'm delivering as part of this people leader program. And I was like, wow, it'd be so easy for me to just be still rolling out the same feedback models and things that I've been seeing for 10, 15 years or whatever. And there's so many more interesting ways of now thinking about that that are now available. So anyway, so yes, so Dare to Lead, I think would be, is absolutely one of them. Yep. Uh, and then the other one on the more of the, so that's the more like people leadership side on the actual kind of, I suppose, line manager or leading people and maybe leading an element of task in that as well is yep. four disciplines of execution by okay. Chris McChesney and, and Sean Covey and about five other authors as well. It's quite a yep. big, big project. That one, I think that looks bit, yep. and that one's really around getting things done because mm. so many organizations struggle with execution and by extension discipline. So and focus with you know within within both of those as well. Yeah. So I think yeah. actually if you can balance the two, and I think that's why they balance each other quite nicely because they're very complete books. Yeah, there's loads of books available, fantastic books about thin slices of the people leadership experience, yeah, or the people leadership type you know roles and responsibilities. But I think those two are just really nice catch-alls. Like if you want to get things done, if you want to, and if you want to lead people well, like these two are the are great books for that. Okay, thank mm. you. Yeah. Um, what would be number three that didn't quite make the top two? Ooh, good one. I think it'd be something a little bit different around, it'd be something like The Art of Gathering by Priya Parker, which is a book I recommend all the time for all different reasons. But I think when we think about leadership and, and organizations, <clears throat> they really are a gathering of people. And mm-hmm. I think there's a lot in that book that as leaders, we could be thinking about, about why are we bringing these people together for this meeting at this time? What is the purpose? How do we create an environment where that is possible how do we think about the physical environment we're meeting in how do we think about mm. who's invited yeah, all of those different things so i think that one mm. would be a close one another one would probably be something which is actually a recent read which maybe it's why i've got a bit of recency bias for it but i think is as an alternative would be something along the lines of brave new work which is by aaron dignan and is all about self-managed systems and how to design an organization that completely breaks 
all of the tropes and systems and pretty broken ways of working that we have yeah. grown up with and, and and exist in the vast majority of organizations which are still based on this you know ford 1800s yeah. <laughs> model which yep. is everything else from that time we pretty much put in the bin there's stuff still lingering around unfortunately from a societal perspective but we yet yeah, we still clock in mm. at nine and clock out at five and all of this sort of stuff i know that is elements well, of that changing but the structure is still, e is still there yeah um so despite you know maybe you and i and i don't mean this in an hour get might know more because mm. this is our job we read around the topics and we can present you know three different feedback frameworks yeah uh, i think a lot of people would know if not intuitively informally there's another way to get things done there's a better way different way faster way more efficient way etc 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 but we struggle the organizations like you said seem to struggle moving away from mm. these sacred cows this you know 100 year old methodologies mm. um, and without naming names necessarily do, do you know of anyone that's actually made some progress on that and if so what are the sort of things they've put in place to make those shifts mm. In terms of what I've been personally exposed to, no, unfortunately not. I think there's there's elements of things that people have moved. <laughs> there's, I mean, there's elements of things, right. but it's still within. It still has to exist within this hierarchy and these sort of frameworks and things as well. I think there's some interesting yeah. stuff happening with <clears throat> organization. I think the closest we're getting, which is, uh, I don't know how I feel about saying this aloud, but the closest we're getting is probably organizations that have done more successful moves to agile. And this, I'm not an agile practitioner. It's not, it's not my field of expertise, but I've been exposed enough to enough of it to kind of be semi-dangerous with knowing what, what it yeah. looks like and all the rest. I think that's probably the closest we're getting is organizations that have been brave enough, I suppose, to go, you know what, this whole hierarchy thing, these people do these things all the time, that doesn't work. Let's actually break that model and have slightly more fluid ways of bringing the people together, spinning up teams, spilling them back out once the project's done. <clears throat> excuse me, that's probably the closest I've seen to that working. Again, mm. what's really interesting is transforming a team into that or an organization into that is, in, is so much harder than just starting from that because you've got all of the, the relationships and links and all the rest that become very messy then when people have relied on them for a long time. And to be honest, even yeah. bringing people in who have come from more traditional organizations and then they've sort of thrust into this world that's very different. They're like, well, hang on, but I want to be in charge all the time, <laughs> not just on this one project. Like that's, that's no, I want to be me here, you, every, you know, everyone else down here. You know, that's, that's how it works. So look, I've seen, and I have seen more organizations in you know, my kind of work that I do who have done bits of that, some of that, all of that, and have struggled, you know, have struggled with some of those things. But when it works, it's actually pretty cool to see, the the discipline again because a lot of the the when it's done well and done properly not this kind of half-baked oh we'll just do we'll, we'll just break everything into two-week blocks and call it a sprint and say we're doing agile like that's <laughs> um yeah that's probably not quite the the model but when people have done it well even if it is in part of the business if not for the whole business it's pretty cool to see how those teams operate quite differently and have quite different a different experience to to others as well mm. another so where my mind went was almost are there are there disciplines to mm. agile, and I don't mean you know the agile, yeah, 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 yeah. you know that what we're talking about. Are there disciplines to play? 
are there disciplines to informal learning? Kind of like the kind mm. of yin and yang of, if we're going to get rid of the hierarchy, we're going to blow the hierarchy up and we're just going to mm-hmm. work asynchronously, autonomously, yep. you know, blah, 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 blah. Are there disciplines to that that you've become more familiar with or would recommend? The the one that I think is really interesting is, and, and I haven't seen this in practice, but I've you know, read about it in some books where they've talked, where they've, gone into organizations who have done this so it's something like uh, an everyone culture by lisa lee Leahy and uh, robert keegan fantastic book yeah. and probably more accessible than some of their other books as well in terms of the slightly less <laughs> academic than the others which i've yeah. I haven't finished the others for that reason um but the the thing that they did well uh, one of the things they talked about in that book and i can't remember which example it was but one of the things they had from a learning example which i've always come back to as a you know kind of a bit of a gold standard is having everyone's goals everyone's learning goals not just like the thing that we were sent down by above that type of thing on the stone <laughs> was the thing is actually everyone's learning goals up on a board on you know it might be on a more uh, virtual board at this point in time that's that's fine but every day you have something you're doing towards that learning goal you have and that could be something quite technical yeah. it could be something quite uh, non-technical something more people leadership like kind of skills that type of thing but everyone knows what everyone else's mm. goal is everyone else is everyone else knows what everyone else is learning and developing at the moment what their development goal is so they can help every, so everyone can help each other achieve that and have yeah. and give feedback on that and help you like oh hey here's mm. a great here's a great opportunity for you to you you go do this one because that would be a great one towards your goal type thing yeah um, so for those that are listening, um, Steph, that might not know what you mean by a learning goal, can you mm. just explain what a learning goal, probably what is it, and also what it's not? Mm. Mm. Yes. So a learning goal, in, in just in the simplest form, could be something you want to learn. So something you want to be able to do as a result of some intentional practice over a period of time or some formal learning. Yeah, it could be, could be any kind of manner of things. So in that situation, in that example from memory, there was one around um, being able to make a certain type of sale, for example, it was, it was like a sales type of thing, like being able to sell to this particular type of business or selling this particular product, product that maybe you didn't know about beforehand. So for that person, there might have been, well, I need to learn what the product is. So I can go and do that by going and talking to some of the other sales reps, or I can go and actually read the manual for the product or read the sales page, you know, that type of thing. I can go and visit one of the, the customers who are using that or go and speak to some customers about what the benefits are, those types of things. And yeah. then I could maybe have my sales calls or meetings observed by someone else who's you know, more experienced than I am and they could give me some feedback and then I can and then once I'm doing those on those sales calls on my own for this particular mm. product I mm. know I can sell that thing and obviously as long as the sale is you know, successful in in you know, nine times out of ten or whatever there's a good measure for that mm. and so again what is it not and I'm, I'm, there's a reason I'm asking the question yeah yeah, yeah. all right it's a leading question I'll get to I'll see, I'll see I if I can get the right answer so what it is not I'd say is a learning goal is probably not go on course and tick a box. Yeah, yeah, Is that the, was that the right answer? I guess no, but that's, no? That, okay. I'd, I'd, love, I'd love to pick up on that as well. <laughs> okay, so learning goal is probably not, and maybe this is part of a learning goal, but it's not a learning goal is yeah. I want to go on X course. I want to get my MBA going and doing that. It's a very noble thing to do, great, but that's probably not the learning goal. The learning goal is to be a better leader, be a better manager, be able to be able to be promoted to CEO, you know, whatever it is for that. So that's actually more your learning goal is that mm. rather than that's just an activity that feeds into your learning goal. 
So again, forgive the leading question. No, My, no, no, you're good. <laughs> the reason I'm asking the question, I think many people mistake, even if they've had learning goals introduced, mm. they mistake learning goals for performance goals. Right, yes, yeah, okay. And yeah. so even in your example, I want to learn how to sell X to Y, mm. their distinction of whether they've learned something or not is dependent on the outcome. Mm, mm. And so they, you know, beat themselves up or, you know, go back to the permission question, um, dependent on the outcome, not necessarily the learning that's taking place. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. Sometimes they're, you know, um, what I've seen is sometimes they're separate. Yeah. And, and I would, I'm guessing you might feel the same. Mm. They should be separate. Yeah. Or they learning, goal could, learning goal, they could link into each other, I suppose, like in that example, yeah, they, yeah the, your learning goal is being able to do it. Your performance goal is how many times you did it type thing mm. afterwards. Mm. Yeah. Mm. So you mentioned, you know, learning, you know, going on a course. Mm, mm. Um, you, I'm guessing you're familiar with 70, 20, 10. Uh, yes, yes, I am. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so what, what's your understanding and perspective on 70, 20, 10? Again, for the listeners who might not know, would you give your understanding of what you understand yeah. that to be? Yeah, so 70, 20, 10 is the, the old L&D type thing that is thrown around as a, a good L&D curriculum or you know, whatever it is, whatever program, whatever you want to call it, has 70% experience, 20% uh, courses or formal learning of some description and, oh, sorry, sorry, 20% coaching and 10% uh, formal learning. And your perspective on it? Look, I think it's one of these, you know, is it George Box things of all models are wrong and some are useful yeah. type things. And look, I think as a starting point, it's a useful reminder that not all learning comes from a course. And actually that should be um, in some ways the last thing you're thinking about, maybe. Yeah. But it's also the sort of thing that can very easily be probably weaponized into, oh, well, you know, we haven't got exactly 70% of this or 10, you know, that type of thing as well. And then, it's, then it becomes... It, uh, it becomes a bit of a tick box rather than actually a useful guide or framework or principle to think about how are we creating a, a, a rounded learning experience for people. And the problem is as well is it's, you know, one of the problems we have in organizations is that L&D can be the the people who are called in when something goes wrong because oh god we need to train everyone better because one person makes a mistake and we now need to punish everyone so that's yeah, that's one problem number yeah anyway but it then becomes this uh and then then we and then we sort of forget that suddenly yeah, actually the business or the organization or the the people on the ground have actually got responsibility on the experience part which is the most of the learning now some places are set up to do that fairly well they're set up actually in more of a uh, learning academy type model the professional services generally do that fairly well and there's a pretty structured approach to you go through the ranks you learn these things you're coached you get feedback again not always in the best way or yeah there's obviously it's not perfect but um yeah but then that sort of sometimes gets forgotten when then it's just like oh well, learning didn't do this or we didn't do the course so therefore how how could anyone possibly learn type thing and the irony being we are, you know, whatever hierarchy or, you know, forward model you're in, the nine to five or the eight to eight, there's opportunities mm. every moment. Oh, 100%. And I think that's the thing as well is that recognition of learning. And uh, I remember this is years ago now, someone came up to me who was probably in their, their first year um, of their career and as a, as a graduate. 
and I was the head of learning at the time. And I said for this for this particular division, and uh, they said, Steph, I've got a complaint. I was like, oh, good. I was making a cup of tea. I was like, this is not what I need. I'm making a cup of tea. <laughs> and so, like, oh, okay, go on. Should I haven't I haven't had any learning for the like nine months I've been here. And I said, all oh, right. So oh, aren't you doing your CA program, your chartered accountancy program? She's like, oh yeah, but that doesn't count. All right, okay. So <laughs> what, what did you, yeah, what did you sort of learn last week? Well, oh, well, I, you know, I was working on this or whatever. I was like, all right. So uh, what are you, are you actually saying you haven't been in a course for nine months? She's like, yeah, exactly. I haven't done any learning for nine months. I was like, oh, okay, okay, right. Here we go. So then, yeah, it, was a, it was an interesting conversation. It was that, and again, that realization that especially, you know, this is someone who's just come out of university who has been fed learning. Learning has been done to them yep. for 20 years, whatever it is since they started school. Because that's our that's what we think learning is, and uh, yeah, love your thoughts on that as well as a former educator, or yeah, that as your background as well. Because the the education system just doesn't seem to set people up well for that more self developmental learning, and the times that people tend to do that are usually at times when oh oh god something's gone wrong, and I suddenly need to learn something because I need to get a new job, or I need to yeah you know, whatever it is that's happened, or I'm about to get demoted or not not promoted because of that because of my gaps in knowledge or something yeah i mean scaling this is is a really tricky challenging mm. gnarly problem but the kind of just in time and just enough yeah aspect if i you know i blow a tire on my bike mm. and i don't know how to do it that's when i need the yeah. youtube video right there if i can be bothered because yeah. the easy way is to go right i'm, not, I'm gonna give it up or yeah. i'll send it to the bike shop I'll yep. outsource the learning yep. as opposed to doing it for myself. And what, what I'm, I'm wondering, and you know, I'd, I'd be interested in your views, do, thinking of the audiences that we deal with, the organizations, small, medium, large, you know, individuals mm. who are keen to grow and develop. Do we have an education problem? And I don't mean formal. Do we have an education problem? Because so often I hear the, even the most experienced HR and L&D professionals talk about something and everything as training. Mm -hmm. that makes me very sad <laughs> yes and it's like no no yeah. it's not right yeah if you were dogs and i got a whistle <laughs> and treats then maybe i could train you yeah but it's so much more than that do, yeah. do you think we have an education problem with our audience yeah i think so and i think we also have a we have a reflection problem i think that mm -hmm. we are not stopping to reflect and at the end of each week your people leader turns around to you said what did you learn this week I mean, how great would that be? I mean, maybe this is like this, this utopian place that I'm imagining, but I don't know that I know it does exist in particularly in more self-managed teams Like that is part of the process. And I know actually this is something that happens a little bit more in teams that maybe have the sort of discipline or the framework or structure of things like sprints and stuff like that. Cause at the end of the sprint, yeah. you do a bit of a retro and that should in some way cover, yeah, and sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't cover some kind of, what did I learn? What did we do wrong? What did we, what did we you know, test and learn that type of thing? So the, so I think, yes, we have a, we have a, an education problem, but I think we have a learning problem, a, uh, sorry, a reflection problem. I think we also have a curation problem. And one of the things I spend quite a bit of time doing in the learning projects I run and, and help clients with is curating content and just going, right, if people want to go deeper into this, if people want to listen to something while they're walking the dog or training the dog or <laughs> whatever it is <laughs> they want to do some training for themselves while they're training the dog uh, or while they're driving to wherever it is they're driving to that type of thing 
here's a podcast to listen to. Here's a YouTube mm. video. Here is a book recommendation. Here's my mm. summary of that book. If you don't have time to read, yeah, you know, that type of thing. There we go. It all starts to link in, but also, or, or, you know, for clients who, you know, a number of clients have got access to things like LinkedIn learning, stuff like that, just going, all right, these three, and I don't always do the whole thing, but you know, I can usually tell um, pretty quickly, which ones might be good based on the teachers or the, you know, the, the people running them and things like that. Um, mm. Hey, here's three LinkedIn learning courses. If you want to go and actually take these ideas a little bit further, or here's some different perspectives on the stuff we've just we've covered during this program or this session or you know whatever it is that we're doing so it gives people a sense of being able to choose their own adventure and I think this is the other thing as well there's there's such a big gap and this is where I get a bit ranty around there is such a big gap between the learning experiences and I use that very very broadly in its broadest form that people are exposed to every Mm -hmm. single day in the world and what they are served up at work yeah and that piece on personalization is hugely different and again you know like you said the scale scale is hard when scale is hard personalization at scale is is hard uh but that's when you know automation and stuff needs to come in and help we need to actually be using really good technology and i think a lot of organizations Mm. are like we've only got microsoft good luck you know (laughs) you know and and everyone else everyone cries a cries a small tear and then um the and then the other thing is around the the ability to you know, to, to personalize, but also to to pick and choose that just in time when we when we need it as well. Oh, yeah. you know, I need to know how to I don't know, give feedback to someone just using that example we've used already. Yeah. I need to go learn how to. Do it. Oh, right, there's a course, but it's happening in six months' time. Great. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that. So I think yeah. So there's lots of things there, but I think yeah, that delta between what people can do and access and have and and see in real life in mm. everywhere else in their life versus what they've got at work is, is is a huge challenge at the moment and then the ability to yeah personalize and personalize at scale and break it down into so it's it's accessible when people need it i think there's an irony in in what you've said and i concur in in that mm. you know imagine you and i were sitting down at the beginning of the end of the got any time i said you know steph or mm. you said to pete you know what have you learned this week yeah i reckon because of this attention deficit economy we're living in as the recipient of that question whilst i'd love to have that conversation with you over a wine or a beer or a coffee <laughs> our brain's going right what do you need to hear uh yeah, well yeah, i learned yeah. that this that and the other can, can we just get on with it because task, mm. task 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 yeah yeah, yeah. there's no time for reflect because i haven't got the time mm. and the irony is i think and i've been suggesting this to almost every client who listen is that i believe strongly that learning is a competitive advantage mm, oh i if you can if you learn, if you know how to learn you're unstoppable that's the quote right down so even just on that are, are the things you've come across that help people learn how to learn i think a bit of role modeling is useful people can't be what they can't see and i think there is a a really yeah some best leaders i've worked with have been voracious learners readers and again they don't have to be doing a course every week or you know anything like that that's not but also that breadth like choose something you're interested in go and learn how to make sourdough maybe actually that's a bad example in 2020 but (laughs) something else okay something else but um, something that's not reminiscent of the last couple of years but yes go and learn anything because Mm. And and just spend those time, spend that time just going, oh, how is this useful to my job as a salesperson? Whatever it is, because finding those, and I think it was in one of Dan Pink's books, 
I might be wrong. I might be, oh, maybe it was David Epstein's Range, which is a fantastic book. I love that book. But they, in whichever one it was, they were talking about how the ability to think in analogy and metaphor is really useful. So being able to, it must have been a range actually, because we're talking about how you can bring in different perspectives or different views from other disciplines into other disciplines is an incredible learning advantage as well because you're then being able to not just learn from different things or different skills but actually to then think about ah oh, me yeah if I, so I've been doing ceramics the last couple of years that's one of my learning hobbies it's being like oh, how is shaping this clay like shaping a person yeah or like learning or yeah whatever it is so being able to kind of think about those things or the fact that in ceramics one of the, the things I loved which was a real kind of like, oh cool that's a cool like analogy or link is in the middle of the in the middle of the studio I, I go to there's the what I call the the slop slot bucket of shame where when your thing goes wrong you peel it off the wheel and you go and chuck it in there big splash <laughs> and everyone you know someone will see you do it and then inevitably someone will look up and be like oh yeah we've all been there you know kind of give you the kind of like the 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 warm <laughs> the warm eye roll type look and you know we've been there to, been there together I had to throw one in there a minute ago that type of thing I just think in an organization that slot bucket of shame would be out the back you'd have to walk through all sorts of corridors to get there and it'd be a real mm. cloak and dagger thing to go and put it in there if you'd made a mistake no one would sympathize with you it'd be a real this you know you'd have to go and hide it whereas in there in the studio mm. it's in the middle of the room everyone sees you go and go plop you know put it in there and it's a bit of a celebration in some ways of yeah that one didn't work move on to the next one Hmm. I'm probably paraphrasing, but I believe that uh, Buckminster Fuller said to master metaphor is to master life. Oh, nice. I like that. Which I, you know, I, I love. And, you know, again, if I can somehow use mm. things in parallel, things at the edge, things that are completely yep. the opposite to help people, as you said, how does, how does reading that book help me with managing people? Not yep. the content, but the process I go through and all of yep. that sort of stuff. Yeah. And, and I, convinced that everyone is desperate to learn mm. but we don't reflect we don't give ourselves the time the systems are not yep. set up people leaders don't know how know how to do it well but if somebody did yep. it properly mm. and spent some discipline not a lot of time but discipline no, no, time no. on it it would create daylight between them and the oh, competition absolutely and i think the biggest thing actually and this is probably in your in your wheelhouse as well Pete, is one of the best things you can do to, to learn is to teach like any opportunity you have to teach. And, and yes, there'll be the, you, you probably do this all the, all the time anyway, you'll teach someone how to access something in a system and you started to get, you know, get off the ground. Yeah, that type of thing. But any yeah. excuse to teach something is, yeah. is a learning opportunity because you learn so much more by teaching. And there's so many, there's great organizations around. There's one called Laneway Learning here in, certainly here in Melbourne. They are expanding a little bit into some of the other states as well, if you're in, in Australia. But what they do is anyone can teach anything. So I've taught things with them. I've taught slow cooking. I've taught bread making. I've taught how to start a podcast and taught a fourth one as well. But it was a few years ago. I can't remember what it was now. Oh, um, meal planning, how to meal plan. So mm. it doesn't have to be anything related to your work no. at all. I mean, the podcasting one slightly is for that, that those examples, but it doesn't have to be anything yeah. related to your work, but just that that discipline or that skill of being able to take all your knowledge structure it in a way mm. and that is accessible to people to also know your audience to think about well, where are they starting from what questions might they have how do I build that into the content how do I start here and end up there what's the what's the the process of doing that is just such a powerful learning tool and then doing something to get really uncomfortable 
which might be yeah. not where people are tempted to start. That's okay. Yeah. But if you yeah, want the, right. you know, for bonus points, <laughs> would be to go and yeah. do something uncomfortable. And this year I've been doing improv classes. And Brilliant. when I read the the blurb for the for the course, I thought, oh, don't know about that. And I thought, all oh, right, that's it. Bye. Spent, take my money. That's that was that was a sign that I was thought, oh no, that's something I should do because mm. it's very easy to go and get another professional accreditation, get qualified in something else, another certificate here More or knowledge. there. Like, it's yeah knowledge exactly it's it's easy but something where you've got to actually put your whole body into it is something else altogether totally and then you know as a bit of an aside my mm. uh, eldest daughter who's a psychologist has mm. a, a side it's not a hustle but more of a side interest in doing improv because she yep. hated it yeah and she yeah. was nervous and ironically there's actually some research um in the background that shows things like doing improv actually can help anxiety and depression mm. and confidence and all those sort of things yeah. because it is embodied yeah and even from an agile perspective, physically or mentally, the ability to go and take anything that Steph gives me and turn it into something yes. or nothing yeah. and keep going. Boy, that's a skill not many people have. Yeah. And if you're a tree, you're a damn tree. Like that's yeah, you've got to be that tree. Yeah. <laughs> if that's the role you've been given in that particular scene, you are a tree. Yeah. And just being yeah. able to sort of hold that and be like, oh, okay, well, I guess I'm I guess I'm a tree. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Steph, I'm really conscious of time, but I haven't really indulged myself in some of your book stuff. Oh, so yes. can I ask okay, a couple of questions again. about that? Yeah, yeah, um, okay. How did you get into that? So a few years ago, when I started a new role, it was my first kind of proper leadership type role. Uh, with, yeah, I, was, I was leading people before that, but in the terms of the actual title and things. And one of the partners who I was going to be working with and wanted to impress was like, oh, so what have you read recently? I thought, oh, oh no. <laughs> <laughs> Oh dear. <laughs> and luckily I had read something. I can't remember what it was, but I'd read one thing. He was like, Oh, have you read this? Have you read that? And I was like, no. And I thought, oh, all right, well, this is game on. <laughs> game on, Tony. So I thought, um, so then I went and read loads. And then I got to the point where I'd read loads and I don't do things, tend to do things by half. So I read lots. And people were then like, oh, Seth, what book do you recommend for this? Or what do you mm. recommend? Or what what was this book like? And after a while, they will start to blur into the other when you start reading, reading a lot in that kind of nonfiction business space. So I thought I need a way to easily be able to catalog and curate all the books I've been reading. Yeah. Uh, why not start a podcast? That seems like a terrible use of my time. <laughs> so that's what I did. And nearly four years later, I'm on, a, I'm on episode 184 went live this morning. Wow. Yeah. So there we go. And so I've been reading a lot of books ever since. Um. So one of the questions that itch. I say again is <laughs> to scratch my own itch, like most yeah, uh, cool. good ideas. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. One of the <laughs> mistakes I've made in doing this podcast with the quick fire questions at the end is mm. what's a book that's changed your life? And people go, mm. Oh, Pete, I wish you'd give me some time to think about that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I'm not going to leave it to the I'm going to ask mm. you now, given your extensive curation and interest mm. in you know in books, um, not the the book, but hmm. what's a book that's perhaps changed your perspective or life and in what way? I think it would actually be one I've already mentioned. So it would be Priya Parker's The Art of Gathering. And I think it came, I read it at a time and I think some of these things, it's the timing, isn't it? I mean, genuinely yeah. it, is a, it is a great book, but it also came at a time when I was really thinking about how do I what's next in my facilitation work that I'm doing? Like, how do I level it up? Like, what am I, what, where could it go? And it was this, it was the book that I read. I thought, oh, this is the work I want to do. It is, it is the facilitation of bringing, and I, I love the learning part of it as well, but that kind of delivery element of, of learning or of, of you know, bringing people together. It's yeah. I was like, that's, that's, that's my kind of 
if I'm a T person, like the, the sort of length, uh, the sort of deeper one is, is facilitation for me. And, and that was the, right. the reminder that that is why. Mm, interesting. Mm. Any, any book that you've put down mm. within a couple of pages, you thought, nah, not for me. Uh, there's a few that I wish I had, uh, but there's also, <laughs> <clears throat> there's quite a few books excuse me <clears throat> hopefully edit that better uh there's quite a few books sorry i'm gonna cough properly sorry there's quite a few books that i have thought this is trash and then i've carried on reading for so i can talk about it on the podcast so i can stop other people having to um ah, having to go through that same pain i think <clears throat> uh patrick lencioni's work is great i really like his models i really like his approaches and theories his books absolutely dire like I cannot stand those <laughs> leadership fables like they're so fake and so yes. awful I just cannot bear it but yeah. the if you use the yeah leave the first probably 100 pages or so because they're not that long and the last sort of 20 to 30 pages where it actually talks about the models and the ideas great just just go straight to those they're great uh, and then the worst book I've ever read <clears throat> in the kind of non-fiction category is the 5am club which was horrendous well because you the the idea is really in the title (laughs) no no I mean I'm I'm on board with the 5am club as a or you know getting up early that's fine and I like that but the book itself is just oh it's just dreadful it's again it's that fable kind of style it's so fake it's so over the top and it's and to the point that I just think how is this inspiring to anyone because it's it's Oh, it's, I mean, yeah, it's just dreadful, <laughs> but also just the, the fact that it's so contrived yeah. that you just think this doesn't happen in real life. No. So if this is meant to be inspiring and people are reading it and being like, oh, I could do, I could be like this person. No one's ever going to be like that person because these people don't exist. Yeah. And unlike good fiction that really takes you somewhere. Mm. And I think some of good fiction can take you, can be as beneficial as it's got good nonfiction. Mm. But uh, good, good fiction that can take you somewhere and, and show you a different perspective or show you someone else's life or show things that maybe you just wouldn't have access to is great. Mm-hmm. But that kind of tr- trite kind of made up fable kind of stuff in that kind of nonfiction category is just diabolical. <laughs> <laughs> in my so personal glad. opinion. Yeah. yeah. I'm so, well, I'm so glad and grateful that you, you went there. It would be so easy for you not to, but I'm, I'm really yeah. glad. Do <laughs> you believe everyone's got a book in them? um yes should they write it maybe not I don't know (laughs) (laughs) I think everyone has a book in them everyone's got like even if it's a memoir or an element of you know something to share or a lesson or whatever I I don't know I just yeah why not I mean I don't I would never stop any or say everyone shouldn't write a book that's yeah yeah, yeah. yeah, but I think yeah what you does it need to be a bestseller or whatever probably not but does it mean if it means that you can reflect and get something down and share something with the people around you or the people going after you or whatever then, then fantastic mm. I think there's also a lot of books that should be essays mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, that someone got a publishing deal and had to write a couple and then suddenly there's a very a great 100 page book stuck in a 300 a very average 300 page book yeah mm. I agree and what about your book <laughs> about my book it's probably the question <clears throat> probably the question I get the most um to be to to be determined I guess yeah <laughs> are, are I think if I wrote if I it? yeah if I did one it would be very it wouldn't be long prose it would be something a bit different I wouldn't want I don't want to just add to that mm. noise I don't think I think I'd want to do something 
unique and unusual. Steph, so on that, I'm conscious of time. Mm -hmm. um, a couple of quick things before we oh, yes. Where can people get hold of you, see what you do? Mm -hmm. um, if you can just tell us that, and obviously we'll put that yep. in the show notes as well. Yep. If you want to tell yep, us yep. that. Yeah, the best place to find me hanging out is on LinkedIn. So I'm okay. Steph Clark on LinkedIn, Clark with an E on the end, unlike this guy here, he's got no E, because <laughs> I am apparently, start, we started, we were literally one minute in, little backstory here. We were like one minute into our conversation. I was like, yeah. oh, Pete, we have the same surname. And actually Pete Clark is my dad's name. So I was like, oh, this is really weird because you're like my dad. Um, <laughs> and then Pete was like, oh, by the way, Clark without an E is like the Scottish scholars and Clark with an E is like the English paupers. So that was, <laughs> that was good. Um, <laughs> we've, we've managed to make it through the whole episode though. Yeah. So we're still, still yeah. smiling. So we're good. Um, yeah. So anyway, LinkedIn. So we can catch on LinkedIn. LinkedIn. And you've got a website? Uh, yes. Uh, so it's yesand.co, which you can go and find, which is going to change soon. So yes, but you can put a link to that as well. Okay, cool. Mm -hmm. um, so just to kind of round this off, I'm going to, if you're okay, I'm going to ask you, yep. I'm probably going to keep the book theme if that's because I'm actually yeah, yeah, go. Um, kind of quick fire questions. Um, audible, Kindle or physical? All three for different reasons. Okay. Can I give you background on? Yeah, no, quiet? please. Yeah, give quiet? me some background. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Why, why Audible? Why Kindle? Why physical? Uh, Audible really only for autobiographies read by the person, typically. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Memoirs, that type of thing. Because yeah. I fall asleep uh, listening to audiobooks and I like to make notes. And audio, I find it really hard to make notes listening to Audible audiobooks I like to read and I'm quite a like visual person so it, I just find the stuff doesn't stick so if I'm reading something because I want to learn from it it has to be for I love re listening to audiobooks that are autobiographies that I'm just like, I'm just going to enjoy it and enjoy the story uh Kindle because it's just more convenient so that's my kind of go-to I normally buy things on my Kindle first and and read them that way and then if I'm like oh, actually this is something I want to reference a lot more or actually lend out to people or take to workshops or anything like that then I'll buy the physical copy as well yeah Right. Okay. Um, physical copy, um, mm. keeping it clean or scribbling notes all over it? No, scribbling notes, <laughs> folding pages, scribbling notes. Yep. I don't always scribble Me. in all books, but I will definitely, I fold pages all the time. Yeah. 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 Me nothing too. Say, know, nothing sacred for me. People, yeah. <laughs> well, that, I can't tell you how many people what I come across go, oh, you can't do that. Yeah, no. That's what Straight they're there. Permission question. Nah, that's what they're there for. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm with you. Um, what's the first book that you remember buying? Ooh, first book I remember buying. I remember buying. And, and I don't mean as a child. I mean, you're in, the, in this. Oh, domain. okay. 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 Yeah. Okay. Um, probably, I think it was, it was recommended to me that we got it. And I can't remember if I ended up buying it or if maybe someone gave it to me, but it's the first one is probably that is probably who moved my cheese. Yeah. You read that? Yeah. It was like yeah. early. It was probably, yes, probably 50, yeah, uh, 13, 14 years ago. Yeah. 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 Probably still contains some interesting metaphors to apply i think it probably does yeah probably especially down around that permission piece actually yeah yeah um are you uh start at the beginning end at the end or are you dipping in for non-fiction yeah i tend to go all the way through there might be some like actually for dis um for disciplines of execution i read the first section in the new version there's been an updated one recently which is the one i've got so i read the first section and then i kind of skimmed through the the two sections which is more around application for certain specific types mm. of teams so that one was a bit unusual it's probably the first one i've done that for a long time fiction i will skip to the end because i want to know how we what where we're going and i will read right. the last page yeah yeah okay right. i'll read the first kind of i don't know quarter and then i'll be like oh i wonder where this is going to go read the last page be like oh i wonder how we get there and then carry on 
I'm a terrible human. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you are awful. Um, look, final question. It's a bit of a double barrel question because I'm, I've just realized this might not be a quick answer, but I'm interested. Mm. Any book that you wish you'd written or any book that we should have turned into a film? Ooh, should have turned into a film. Don't know about that one. I might have to have a longer think about that one. The book I'd wish I'd written is probably some of the some of the ones I'm reading at the moment around really radically rethinking work. So when I read the stuff by the yep. the ready by by Aaron Dignan and the Brave, I'm looking over there because it's over on my bookshelf. Yep. Um, uh, Brave new work. I just think, oh, I wish this is the work that I had done to get to the stage of yep. being able to then share this with being exposed to just very different ways of working. I just find mm. that so, and I have done for quite a while is think like anyone who's doing something radically different, I'm like, oh, so good. Like, and especially that kind of system stuff, I find that really interesting mm. as well. Like how do we actually design, intentionally design ways of working or systems with discipline that allow us to actually do the work without the unintended consequences that exist mm. in heavily in the work, that, in the way we're working at the moment. Mm. Um, an extra bonus question from me. Have you counted how many books you've got? Oh, not recently. No, I think I did reckon? when we moved. Yeah, I think I did when we moved house a couple of years ago um, because I was you know, boxing them up. I don't know, it'll be a couple of hundred in the in physical form and including like cookbooks. I've got a lot of cookbooks actually as well. Right. At one point I actually had more cookbooks than nonfiction, like physical books. Right. But on my Kindle, I've, I don't know, haven't I got my Kindle? Like probably 80, well, probably yeah, over 100 I would thought so. Yeah. Uh, so again, another question. Because mm. um, I, I mentioned to you offline that um, I'm in a different location today because we've got some building yes, work going yep. on next door. Normally my background is a, my books in my, in my little studio. Mm. Um, I had them randomly placed but my EA What's wrong with you? Up, <laughs> my EA took up on herself to actually order them for me. Now in they're in a, in a kind of colour format. Oh no, that's worse. <laughs> so how have you got your book stored then? Not well, obviously, need, not either of those two ways. Obviously, so. right, yeah, yeah. Um, the the classic like the library classic, alphabetical ah, okay. by surname, alphabetical. and then chronological, where I've got multiple ones by an author. Wow. So they'll go like older to newer, left. So to can you spot right. if someone's come in and been naughty and shifted books around? Yeah, or if I've just had a moment where I've forgotten the alphabet, that kind of thing. <laughs> so, but also, like, I spoke to um. I spoke to someone a little while ago whose I think granddaughter had put their books into colour, like the rainbow kind of order. Yeah. yeah. But he, he was then he didn't know what colour anything was. So if like the book, so he then had to like Google a photo of the book first before he right. knew how to then go and get it off where to go and get it off the shelf. Yeah, well, because the irony is I didn't realize at the time, but I remember the book by the colour of the spine. Oh yeah, okay. Yes. Okay. So actually so without you, it's quite it actually helped yeah. me. Yeah. So if you'd says, Pete, if you got a book on X, I'd go, yeah, that's a white background or a yeah. red spine or a black spine, yeah, yeah, yeah. Or a yellow spine. and go, oh, here's the yellow books, the red books. So actually, yeah. it made it a bit easier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I like my alphabetical one. I'm quite, yeah, I'm quite disorganized. Oh, I'm not, I'm not actually, no, I'm not. I'm, I'm a very organized person. I'm quite a messy person. So I think actually just having the the books in a chronological order is some level of, some semblance of of non-messiness that I can, I can muster sign up. Of, sign of a genius. I think, well, there we go. Let's leave it on that, I reckon. <laughs> no more questions. <laughs> Steph, I'm really grateful, one, for your time, and two, for just the authenticity and what you've shared. I'm, I'm sure anyone listening would pick up a, a truckload of knowledge. Uh, and, of course, both, we'd both be poking them going, and how are you going to apply it? So, again, thank you very much for your time. No, thank you. Thanks, Pete. And really good, interesting, different questions than what I've been asked before. So I appreciate that. Cool. Bye.